My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I'm not a big Facebook fan. I used to call it fake book. I still kind of view that. Um, I, I do it. I post scripture verses in my Bible reading or quotes. I love to put quotes of different authors or, you know, things I've been reading, uh, meditations by Marcus Aurelius and a lot of good, it's like Ecclesiastes is super depressing. We're all going to die. Uh, so figure that out, you know, but it's like, I like to use that for just a platform to promote some things and pictures and whatnot. I'm not on it. I don't, you know, spend my life on it. That'd be deeply depressing, but you know, I do love one feature. It's birthdays. I love the little notification that pops up and says, Hey, it's so-and-so's birthday. And you know, even though I got all these friends, I, I don't know who everybody is, um, but I'll say happy birthday to pretty much anybody if it says it's their birthday. And I like that feature. However, I was deeply saddened that it missed a significant birthday from this last year. I don't know if you know this, but October 31st, I know you think it's Halloween, but it's actually something else. It's a birthday. In fact, this last year, 2017, October 31st was a very important birthday and none of us signed a card for anybody. We didn't, we didn't do a cake. It would have taken 500 candles for this birthday because October 31st, 2017 was the 500th anniversary of the reformation. When a, a, a gorgeous looking guy, check this out, Martin Luther, um, decided to protest what he saw as uh, problems, errors, sins in his church. Now, you, you got to back up. When we think of church, we think of buildings, we think of, you know, these steeples. But 500 years ago, when you thought of church, there were only really two churches in the world. In the East, you had the Orthodox. You could think about Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox. You, they have their own leader, a, a pope. But on the West, it was the Catholic Church. Catholic means general. So it's really only the church, the Catholic Church. And 500 years ago, Martin Luther, he just got fed up with what he saw as significant problems in the church. And he decided to write about it. And being the prolific guy, he didn't stop with a couple post-it notes or a blog. He wrote 95 complaints against the church. 95 theses right here. And he posted them on the door at Wittenberg or Wittenberg there in Germany. And he said, I don't think we're getting it right in these areas. Now, specifically, he was protesting the idea of the cell of indulgences. Indulgences were this simple idea that the church came up with that said, if you want to lessen your family, your friends time in purgatory or in hell, you can pay money to the church. And then that will kind of reduce that. Now that seems kind of cool, right? I mean, I mean, for a church, if you want to make a lot of money and build cathedrals, but the idea 
idea was, Luther said, it doesn't make any sense that by selling these, by people giving money to the church structure, the leadership, the Pope, that the Pope would then have the ability to lessen their time in punishment. And if that's the case, why doesn't he just wave his magic scepter and everybody springs, right? Because the statement was, every time a coin in the coffer rings, uh, a soul from hell or purgatory springs. It's like that, that's not about the gospel at all. That's about making money. And he was upset about that. And so he wrote these 95 theses to protest what he saw were these crimes. He, he said, there, there's no way that's what's in the Bible. Now, it just so happened that he was able to read Greek. He went back to the original manuscripts. He forgot the Latin stuff, pushed that aside that the church had that nobody understood anyway. And he said, I want to go and create a Bible that's for the everyday person. And he went and he discovered grace. And all of a sudden, this whole thing, he said, the Pope doesn't have the authority that he should have, or he says he has. Uh, the sale of indulgences is ridiculous. That's not how anybody gets out of hell or purgatory. The whole idea of purgatory didn't show up, but it was like, and you don't understand. He, now, what he didn't intend to do was to start the Protestant church. But that's what happened because it was like a shot heard around the world when he hung those 95 theses on the door at the church there because he said something has to change. He wasn't the first reformer. It wasn't the last, but he was the one that drove the wedge into this Catholic church and separated. And now we have the Protestant church and as Baptists and Pentecostals and, you know, Methodists and Lutherans and all those other people. And, and, but back then it was just the church and he risked his very life to do this. And in fact, he was called into account for this at what's called the diet of worms. I don't recommend that from a health perspective, you vegans, but it meant the assembly at worms, the diet of worms. And he, he had all his books there and his writings and, and he was called into account for what he was saying against the Pope, against the church, as what he saw were not just excesses, but were crimes. And he stood there in defense. In fact, these are the last words that he said. This is great. He says, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures, he was convinced the scriptures held the key to eternal life, not the church because it had changed. Unless I'm convinced by the testimony of scripture or by clear reason, and now he's going to get in trouble, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. That's like, you know, you'd end up one head shorter, you know, if you said stuff like that. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive of the word of God. I cannot, I love this, I will not recant, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other. May God help me, amen. He risked his life for what we have now as a freedom, to be able to go back to the Bible in our language. Again, he wasn't the first, he wasn't the last, but he was the key to starting this whole change. He didn't intend to reform the church. He just wanted to correct it from some problems. I mean, Luther himself, as a good monk, as a good Catholic, as, as someone who had this, this church, this parish, he was very faithful in that. But as he journeyed on his life experience, he saw there were serious problems. And he, in all good conscience, could not just overlook those. In fact, it was on a trip to Rome. When he really, really had his heart pricked for the sin in the church. Uh, on his way to Rome, he stayed in monasteries. He and a friend went there on an, on an assignment. And as they stayed with these monks, he was appalled at the sinfulness in the monasteries. 
the disregard for God's rule, God's law. He couldn't believe what he saw and what he heard. When he finally made it to Rome, he looked around, and in Rome he saw nothing but debauchery, sinfulness, sexuality running rampant with the priests, and all the way up to the Pope. And he just couldn't stand it. In fact, though, history tells us that he was on a journey up the holy stairs. Now, you, you could look at this. If you want to go to Rome, you can see it. My wife and I have been on these holy stairs. Supposedly, it's a relic, a history from artifacts, history of the steps that Jesus took up to see Pontius Pilate to be condemned. You know, behold the man. But and that's just a bunch of stuff. They Back then, they bought all kinds of stuff in the name of Jesus. You know, there are more pieces of wood from the cross of Jesus that would fill like a thousand churches of crosses. My wife and I have seen so many vials of Jesus dried blood. It's ridiculous. It's like he's like, you know, a thousand feet tall if he's got that much blood, right? But they would sell these things and they would cling to them for hope and the holy stairs. This was what was so special about that. You can go there today and you would get on your knees and you would say a specific prayer as you ascend the steps. And when you got to the top of the steps, your sins were forgiven. And um, it's, 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 it's desperately sad, if you ask me. When we were there in 2000, it was uh, during the year of Jubilee. And there in the Vatican, uh, St. Peter's, they'd opened up a special door. They only open up on Jubilee. And we walked through it, but it's, you know, man, it broke my heart. Because it said across the door that all who enter, their sins are forgiven. It's like, that's not how your sins are forgiven. But as he's kneeling there on these stairs, as he's saying these prayers, something else comes into his mind. And it's an Old Testament verse from Habakkuk. And this is what it said. The just shall live by faith. And that began to ring in his soul. And he walked away never the same. Because they knew that that to be righteous does not mean to work for it or to earn it or to obey a set of rules or laws. But the only way to be righteous is through what Jesus has already done and putting your faith in that. And Martin Luther changed the world as we know it. 500 years ago, and he paid a serious price for that. And you and I live in great freedom because of that. Today, we now read the Bible. Today, we now have freedom and access to Scripture. In fact, today, we are going to read in Galatians that very verse that brought salvation to Martin Luther. It's quoted in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews that a righteous person will live a life by faith, not by works. If you've been with us, you've kind of seen what we've been talking about. Pastor Mark did an excellent job last week. Galatians 3, we pick up in verse 10 of Galatians 3, page 891 in your chair Bible. I'd encourage you to turn there right now and give you the background. See, the Bible says very clearly that faith comes through Jesus Christ. And as the Apostle Paul, who wrote Galatians, traveled around uh, the known world, he shared the message with non-Jews. See, again... All of this message of Jesus as Messiah came from the Jewish people. It stems back to Abraham, goes through Moses to Jesus. And so everybody who was a follower of Jesus was a Jew until all of a sudden it went out. Peter shared with the Gentile in Acts 9 and 10, Cornelius. Paul went around with Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and Luke and all these guys. And all of these Gentiles are receiving Christ. Well, as they left the churches of Galatia, all of a sudden, the Judaizers, the false people who were saying, oh, you have to go to Jesus through Moses. Jesus plus Moses equals salvation. We've talked about that for weeks. That's the way to be saved. Paul writes back and said, well, what's happened to you? As Mark said, 
you're running the wrong way, right? You're going one way. Now you're heading the wrong way. You're making a touchdown for the wrong team. Okay. And so the conversation now turns to this whole idea of the law. Now, chapter three is the deepest part of the book. And we're going to we wrestle through that for the next couple of weeks and it's going to be like a dump truck just dumps a bunch of stuff and we'll pick some things out. But I'm here to say it is the most practical because even though you don't you know, subscribe to the kosher laws, none of you, when you went shopping this week, look for the little circle in the K right there, right? None of you, right? You, you don't worry about the Sabbath days and the holy days. You don't worry about, you know, circumcision as a part of salvation or certain interaction with foreigners or all the rules and the certain washing of hands and rituals. None of us do that. All of us are prone to fall back into law. All of us as human beings are prone even as followers of Jesus to go back to rules because man rules sure make us feel good or they make us feel bad, which sometimes makes us feel good. Have you ever been to church and you walk out going feeling really bad and you go, man, that felt good that I felt bad. It's like there's something sick inside of us that likes to be beat up. There's something inside of us that says, oh, I'm better than the other person. Right. And we check our boxes. So even though we're going to talk about something that really related to that time period, 2000 years ago, to a Jewish Gentile struggle that we don't wrestle with today, we still wrestle with the basic concept. And that is, if we go to rules to live a life, we are doomed. Now that's enough background. Let's dig into this. This is what Paul says in chapter three, starting in verses 10 down to 14. Um, He says this, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. The word law we'll see in the next few weeks is probably a poorly translated word because when we think about law, we think of the laws of the land, but laws aren't necessarily bad, right? We all have rules. We all have instructions. We all have boundaries. Good parents create rules around their family or around, you know, the activities and the the do's and the don'ts. We do need rules. We do need some fences in our lives. Absolutely. But we don't live hanging out at the fences. We live in the middle, right? In the heart of God. But if you live by the law of the Old Testament, anybody read Deuteronomy, Leviticus, anything really? Man, I just recently got through it. I'd never make it. 613. I guarantee none of us made 613 this last week. I doubt we even made the Big Ten, right? We fail. But those who attempt to do so, the Bible says, are under a curse. If you attempt to live by the law, the rules, to make yourself right with God. We've seen this word to stand in the presence of God fully without sin. If you try to live by the law to do that, you're not going to make it. In fact, worse than that, you're under his curse. That's a strong word. We don't like to think of God as actively cursing, but I, I finished Deuteronomy in the last couple of weeks and Paul, or Moses, Paul, Paul in Deuteronomy. Yeah. Moses in Deuteronomy. He says, you know, here's the simple truth. God's going to give you two roads to walk down. You pick it, but whatever road you walk down, that's the destination you'll be on. And if you decide to walk down God's rules, you're going to have a life of blessing. If you decide to walk down a road, if you make your own rules, you're going to have a life of cursing. And so you, you choose, you want to be blessed, follow God's rules. You want to be cursed, follow your own rules. Because I just finished judges talk about disgusting. I just read about cutting up a woman in 12 pieces and shipping it around the country. That's encouraging. That's a nightly children's devotional. You want to read your kids after they, you know, put their head down on the pillow. It's like, Oh my goodness, because that's what happens when a nation decides to walk their own rules, right? In that time they didn't have a King. So they followed what was ever right in their own eyes. 
personally, I think that's where we are as a world today. But the fact is, is that that's a natural cursing. But God says this through Paul. If you decide to live your life by the law, you're under a curse. The scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written. Man, you have to hit 100% every time. And even on the good days, we don't. We don't. I know this. Even on my good days, I don't even match up to my own standards. Um, you know, trying to be healthy, trying to lose weight, trying to, you know, work on that. Been running. My wife and I, the last couple of weeks, we were running, putting in three and a half miles a day, trying to eat less and everything. And we get home and, and I got on the scale. I lost one stupid pound. Say, like, give me a break. I denied myself for two weeks and ran three and a half miles in hills for that. I'm like, but I got to keep going. I'm not going to eat too much. And then I went to men's breakfast yesterday. Man, we had bacon. It was, we had bacon. And in fact, the guy with me, Aaron, he didn't want his. So I said, I'll have his too. So I had double bacon. I didn't tell you that, by the way. Uh, double bacon. We had ham. We had sausage and sausage and eggs and uh, potatoes and fruit to balance it all out. And I wasn't going to eat. And I'm in a conversation. All of a sudden, I end up eating. I'm like, oh, I feel so bad. So what did I do? I went home, grabbed the family. And we went to the lunch we had planned at Godfather's, which was a pizza buffet. And I get home and I'm like, what? why do I do? I, why do I do this? I hate this. Why do I do this? And I, 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 I don't know why I keep doing these things. I know they're not good for me, but I fall. Man, I, there are days I just don't make any steps toward my own goals. Let alone God's. Come on, let's be honest. None of us can get there. Because if you want to get there, you have to get 100% and never, ever, ever get less than that. Because if you want to get there, good luck. Paul himself said, if anybody could have got there, it would have been me. And I gave it all up for Jesus. So, curses anybody, everybody, anyone who does not, everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in the book of the law. Now, so it is clear that no one can be, here it is, made right with God, justified, be in a right relationship with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, and here it is, this is what brought salvation to so many people because of the last 500 years of Luther. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. The just will live by faith. This way of faith is very different from the way of a law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. You know, there is something... uh, sickness in us is maybe satisfying. We try to obey the laws. We've talked about this with grace and truth in Jesus in the book of John a number of years ago, that we like to build uh, truth in our lives and we need truth. But if we start to trust in the check boxes, we end up in a situation where now we're trusting in our own righteousness, but we can feel good that way. We really can. If you've ever been a part of church like that, I was a part of church like that, where you feel good about all the good things you do and you start to think that you are good because of those good things. And then you, you know, look at other people that aren't doing as many good things and you start looking down on them. And all of a sudden you become what Jesus encountered in his time, the Pharisees, the self-righteous people who are smug because we're better than everybody else. And we've missed the heart of God or worse. You just give up entirely and just run for whatever sin you want to, because you're not going to make it. And neither of those are the way of Jesus. If you try to live by the rules, you're going to be deeply disappointed because you won't make it and neither will others. You'll give up. But there is a different way. In fact, if you follow this way, you'll be cursed. Or you can follow a different way. There is a curse, 
but it's not for you. It's for someone else. Take a look at this. Paul says in these next verses, but Christ, Jesus himself, God's son, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Now, the word rescued is is probably not a great translation of this word in uh, the first chapter, we saw this, verses uh, 3, 4, and 5, where it says Jesus has rescued us from this present age. And the idea there is he's pulled us out of that. He has jumped in the water, we said, and he's pulled us because we were dying and drowning. And then he died in the process. That's that word rescue. This is actually a different word. It's better translated redeemed because it was a word specific to a situation. And now this was a world where there were a lot of slaves, varying levels of slavery. And uh, you would have household servants as slaves and you would buy them for work and such. And you would go to the marketplace of slavery and you would bid on a human being. And it's just unbelievable, but that's, that's sinfulness in our lives. Okay. In our culture, in our world. And you would go and you would purchase a slave. Now this word specifically meant though, you would purchase a slave with the sole intent to write them a certificate of freedom. That you would buy a slave out of the marketplace of slavery and you would set them free because you personally had paid the price and you and you alone had the right to put pen to paper and grant them their freedom. And Paul says this, Christ has freed us from the marketplace of sin. He's freed us from the curse pronounced by the law. Bible says, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, everything's perfect, everything's great, right relationship with God. Genesis 3, we blow the whole thing to pieces. Because we rebel against God, we go our own way, and God gives curses to the earth, the man, the woman, all that stuff. And we live under that curse. We live under the curse of sin. But this is different. This is not just that we have this curse. It's something significant because Jesus is going to become that curse. He's going to become the very curse of God for us. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Jesus took our punishment, the penalty of our sins. For it again, it's written in scriptures. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now, it's a little odd because you think about this. We have crosses everywhere. I just saw one of our young guys with a cross you know, on, his, on his wrist there. We have crosses you know, on our forum. We have crosses on our churches. We have crosses around our necks. You know, we have crosses in our wallets or whatever. We have crosses on our cars. We don't get the cross because the cross was not a symbol to put out as victory. You, you wouldn't make the cross a symbol of your identity. Because before Jesus, the cross was a gallows. Before Jesus, the cross was a firing squad. Before Jesus, the cross was an execution chair. It was a guillotine. It was a gas chamber. Before Jesus, it was a reminder, not that you won, but that you didn't just lose. You were crushed in the process. In the Old Testament, book of Deuteronomy, in the law, it, it, Leviticus, it talks about this curse of anyone who's hung on a tree. It's like, that's kind of weird, right? Well, back in that day, and, and the Israelites weren't the only ones, other cultures did it. When a person had so shamed their culture, or they had been so conquered that the victor wanted to shame them, they would hang their bodies out to dry. Now, in that culture, even today in the Middle East, when you die, you're buried immediately. You're you're immediately put in because it's shameful to have the body out, right? 
Well, think about this. If you had so violated the rules of your community, you didn't deserve a decent burial. You were not buried with your family. You were hung on a tree and your body was thrown outside the gates. That's how it was. No respect. Complete, utter shame. Your family was shamed. Uh, In that day and age, when you would conquer someone, a whole city, you would nail their body to the wall. Just to show that you are the victor and that is the victim. That you are the conquerable and they are the conquered. And you would hang them on a tree or you'd impale them on a pole so that you and your ruthlessness would say, I have won so much that everybody else should be afraid of me. And so the Bible says, if you hang a body on a tree, that's a curse. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. Well, look what Paul says. That's Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit by faith. What Paul is saying is this, is that Christ has been cursed so we don't have to live under the curse anymore. Christ has given his life so we don't have to die for that because it would have never made up for all of our sins. That God so loved you and he so loved me that he gave his only son to die in our place. That Jesus, who had never sinned, actually became sin for us. Who had no reason to be cursed, became the curse for us. Now, if you've got kids or grandkids, you know, you know this. And I'll I'll tell you this, I love you guys, but I mean, even though I would consider dying for you, I would never consider offering up my son for you. Any of them. Now, there are days, you know, (laughs) just teasing. Um, But seriously, the thought of because of your brokenness and separation from God, that I would put one of my sons to death for you, I don't get it. I wouldn't do it. But I'm so glad there's a father that loves you more than I do loves me more than I even understand because he willingly gave his only son. And the Bible says that when Jesus hung on that cross, it was shameful and offensive. It was humiliating. It was utter defeat in the eyes of the world. But to God, it was victory. Christ was the victor on the cross. Now we, we take our crosses and we've got them up here on the sides. We've got out front and everything. And, and Protestants, we're, we're good at cleaning the cross up. We take Jesus off. If you're Catholic, you go to Catholic church, Jesus is hanging on the cross, the thorn, the blood is all there. We're like, oh, I don't want to see Jesus on the cross. You know, I want him out of the grave. I, I think we need, we need to we need a little more of Jesus on the cross because we don't appreciate the suffering. We like the victory part, <laughs> but the victory only came because of the suffering. You know, we don't sanitize our crosses, right? But we kind of do. We don't scrub them clean, but we kind of do when we take Jesus off of the cross. I know he rose again, but do we ever consider and contemplate that Jesus died a shameful, cursed death on a cross so that we wouldn't have to die for our sins and that he gave his own life in the most disrespecting way? the most shameful way, the most cursed way, the most humiliating way, because 
He was God in the flesh. Now, I love, I absolutely love how Luther in his commentary on Galatians says it. And um, I'm going to read it. You might want to close your eyes because, man, this is good. Just picture this. The sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, fastened themselves upon Christ and condemned him. But because Christ is God, he had an everlasting and unconquerable righteousness. These two, the sin of the world and the righteousness of God, met in a death struggle. Furiously, the sin of the world assailed the righteousness of God. Righteousness is immortal and invincible. On the other hand, sin is a mighty tyrant who subdues all men. This tyrant pounces on Christ. But Christ's righteousness is unconquerable. The result is inevitable. Sin is defeated and righteousness triumphs and reigns forever. Amen. Isn't that good? That's what happened on the cross. Jesus was the victor. But it took a lot of humiliation and shame and curse to get there, right? Because he became sin on our behalf. He became cursed for us. The perfect sinless son of God, born of a virgin, raised, lived, no sin ever in his life. If anybody obeyed the law, it was Jesus, right? He obeyed it to the nth degree and yet went to the cross to die our death, a sinner's death. And in doing so, offered up freedom for you and for me. I mean, think about this. Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Man, they're beautiful. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God. There it is, the just. We could be justified. We could stand in a right relationship with God. We've seen every week. The idea is this is just not that our sins are forgiven. When God looks at us now, we've never sinned in that sense. We, we haven't violated his rules because he sees us as he sees his son, pure and holy. The Bible says it. I know we don't see ourselves that way. I know you don't see me that way. I certainly don't see you that way. Especially when we know each other, we're going like, yeah. But God looks at you and says, you're holy and you're blameless and you're without sin because I see you in Christ and you're perfect. That's what he says. Because of Christ, not because of our law and our rules, so that we could be made right with God through Christ, not through our works, not through our effort. The righteous person lives by faith. The just shall live by faith. So my friends, if you're ascending some holy stairs and saying certain prayers and doing certain things and jumping through certain hopes, give it up because that's just going to wear you out and defeat you. But come to Jesus because Jesus has already done all the work necessary and he offers his love, his forgiveness as a free gift. Now, the, the cool thing about this is he doesn't just forgive us and then we have to figure this out. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. So we're, 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 forgi- we're called by the Father, we're forgiven by the Son, and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit's job in our lives is to conform us to the image of Christ. Uh, now, now that's not, we conform ourselves, and we create more rules, once again, to get ourselves to look like Jesus. That's law, that's works. The Holy Spirit conforms us. He molds us. He shapes us. He takes away the stuff that needs to be taken away. And he molds us in the image of Christ. That's God's job in your life now. And so, again, we always do this. Two scenarios. One, if, if you're living by the law, if you're living by works, if you're trying to live a holy, righteous life, if you're a religious person, just give it up today. You, you will sleep well tonight. Okay? You can rest. 
because it's already been done for you. Come to the cross, run to the cross, fall down on the cross and cry out for Jesus for salvation because he's already done the work for you. You, by faith, can receive it when you believe in your heart. When you say the words, it says, when you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The work is applied to your life for all eternity, and you are free now. I don't know why anybody wouldn't do that. Seriously? You want to work for it the rest of your life? Man, give that up. Come to Jesus who did all the work. But for the rest of us, and I think the majority of us, myself included, what do we do with it? How do we live it? So I think one of the problems we have as as Christians is that we come to the cross for salvation, but we don't stay hanging out at the cross. We go and live our lives. But my friends, it's not a prayer you pray. It's a life you live. The gospel isn't just something we need the day one of our salvation and then we leave it. It's everything. It's not just the ABCs. It's all the way to Z. It's everything. The cross, the gospel message of Jesus is not the way you become a Christian. And then there's another way to grow as a Christian. You and I need the gospel every day. Like we've said, we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves lest we think one day I can take it from here, Jesus. And then we just fall back on rules. Man, that'll defeat you. So that's my question, I guess, today is, have you come to the cross? And if not... I have no earthly idea why not. (laughs) Because of the love and the grace that's offered you through Jesus Christ. The forgiveness and freedom from sin. And, And for those of us who've already done that, why wouldn't we hang out there? And why wouldn't we grab everybody and bring them to the cross, the feet of Jesus? That's the level ground, my friend. And when we come to that, we look upon our Savior, pierced for us. You know, I think the biggest impact of the cross is not the holes that were in his feet and in his hands because of the nails. It was the hole in his heart when the Father put all of our sin on him. The Bible says the sky grew dark for three hours. Theologians believe that's when our sins were hurled upon him and he became sin for us. And why wouldn't we live in the beauty of our forgiveness and every day preach the message That apart from Christ, we're nothing. Apart from his death on the cross, we are nothing. Now, let's live it and let's flush it out. And let's let the Holy Spirit change us. Have you noticed that in your life? Is he conforming you? Have you seen conformity? I'm not talking about your husband or wife or your mom or dad or anything or your friend. Have you seen God conform you? Have you seen year after year... God, change your heart, your thoughts to better line up with Jesus. If not, I'd have to wonder if maybe you just prayed a prayer, but you didn't receive the truth of the gospel. Maybe you're just coming to church, but not coming to Christ. Maybe you've just walked in the room, but you haven't really joined the family of God. Maybe you're just religion again. Your own attempts. Come to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Um, Father God. Um, I want to thank you for the cross as um, weak, as offensive, reprehensible as it is to die that kind of death. You did it for us. You didn't deserve it, but you freely came to this earth, dwelt in flesh, went to the cross to die so we 
could have freedom. We could never have ever paid for all of our sins. For eternity, we could have never paid for all our sins. But you conquered and you were the victor on the cross and you won. And you said, it is finished. And we don't have to go back to work for it anymore because it never would have worked on our own effort. But it worked once and for all as you laid down your life for us. On the cross, you won. God, may we come to you today and may we live in that moment and may we always live in light of the cross. Day after day, we pray in your name. Amen.